Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Nyank. There are six cars and a caravan in the front yard of the Tetley's house. The humble Tetley's, who don't get too many visitors. If they had neighbours, they'd be craning their necks over fences. But they haven't had neighbours in years, nor very good fences, for that matter. From above, there's no order to the picture. People pile out of cars, some clutching flowers, others holding plates stacked with almond biscuits and cream-filled cannoli. The sound of wailing drifts over the tin roof. Your sister gets her hands stuck in her pearls as she waves them about. Pearls ping down the garden path, roll in the gutter, fall down the drain. Your niece slips on them. Your dad tries to grab her elbow. Down they go, into the orange gravel dust. Some of the visitors are inside now, flapping those hands and filling the kitchen with noise. Your children climb out of corners, peer around door frames, and one climbs right out of the living room window. Your sister Lisa is holding shortbread biscuits to their lips, but they blink at her with tight shut mouths. You watch your father hug your daughter close. He never seemed that tender back when you were young. The only language he spoke was botany, and so you learned, fast, a small child reciting scientific names. Rose is thinking about how you didn't stick around for this bit, nicked off before your own family arrived from Perth. This is the part no one considers, when the life has ended but the chaos continues. Molly Schmidt is a writer and journalist from the coastal town of Albany, Western Australia. Molly is the recipient of the 2022 City of Fremantle Hungerford Award for her first novel, Salt River Road. Molly Schmidt, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks so much. One of your objectives in writing Salt River Road was to include Noongar characters, First Nations people, in a way that avoids misrepresentation and stereotyping. And in writing from a non-Indigenous perspective, what did you have to embrace and what did you need to let go of in order to bring this story together? Mm, had to embrace listening and asking questions. Um, so I was working directly with the Noongar community in Albany um, where the book set in order to, to do this. Had to embrace, yeah, um, that consultation and that collaboration, which is quite different to, you know, the idea of writing being such a solo practice. And, yeah, a real inquisitive mind and open to lots of different possibilities becoming the ending or the narrative in my own book. Letting go of, I guess it's kind of similar, letting go of a set end goal um, was something that I really had to do because I was going in really wanting to work with this community and find out how they felt. And I didn't know the answers to those questions. So I didn't know where the book was going to end up and I didn't know where the consultation process was going to end up and so letting go of any preconceived ideas or end goals in that sense. And you consulted extensively with Aboriginal elders uh, in writing this book. What advice were you given for writing about First Nations characters and their stories? Yeah, so it was interesting because the, um, the sharing that happened with the elders developed, you know, it wasn't something where we sat down once and they gave me, you know, you should do X, Y, Z. 
it was a um, relationship that I developed with five different elders over years. It was sort of two years of really close consultation um, with them. And it was over time that we sort of developed a bit of a, um, I guess, a scope of what was okay for me to write and what wasn't. And pretty much across the board in this case, the elders, you know, wanted a local book to mention their people. This wasn't about me telling their story. It was just about me telling my own story, but making reference to the fact that these people exist. So, of course, they're going to be part of the story. Um, So, yeah, I didn't name any significant cultural places. I never took it upon myself to tell their cultural stories. And I never wrote from their perspective because that seemed really inappropriate to me, but that was also something that they reflected that they would prefer that I didn't do. Um, so I guess that was the kind of no-goes, but none of that was said with, um, you know, I don't know, it was all it was all worked out gently and with an open mind from their perspective too. Um, it was, yeah, really special actually learning with them. Of course, there are going to be cultural sensitivities too. In approaching those cultural sensitivities, are we too hesitant? Are we even afraid to tell these stories, to include these characters? And, and should we be afraid? Well, I was. I certainly was. I had I had written this book. Um, it didn't include any First Nations people or characters for a very, very long time, but the story wasn't going anywhere. It was very much stuck in the grief of the Tetleys, um, which is, you know, um, a, a core part of this story, but it was a bit stuck. But I was certainly afraid because I think there's a lot, there's a lot hanging in the balance there of getting it wrong and um, offending and, you know, it's it's important to get right. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are scared of getting it wrong. What I learned from this whole process was that by asking and by actually working with the community, the outcome and the power of that connection that can be created is amazing. And, and all I had to do was ask. In this case, the community that I worked with were really happy to work with me to be consulted to be considered and it was just taking that first step of reaching out and asking questions and getting to know them and it is it's a scary first step but god it was very worthwhile one of the great things we have in common is storytelling their culture in many ways depends on storytelling and you are a storyteller did you think well there's my common ground yeah i guess i hadn't thought of it like that but yeah for sure and i think a lot of the time the elders that i worked with hadn't been given the time just to sit down without like a um I guess because the main thing for me was creating a really honest true relationship with them but not a um taking you know relationship from them and I think they were pretty excited and happy too to be able to sit down and share their stories and see their stories ending up in the book as well because they were so inspiring they were fascinating people and So a lot of their stories, with their permission, did end up influencing the characters within the book. So it was exciting for them as much as it was for me to see that happen too. Your starting point for this story is the Noongar word nyank. It's a word that carries more than one meaning. What does that word nyank encompass and what is its significance to the Tetley family and their story? So nyank is um, the Menang Noongar, a word for mum, primarily, and um, that was how I learned it initially because the Tetleys have lost their mum. So Rose and Frank are the main characters and they've just lost their mum to terminal cancer. 
And I asked, I remember um, it was a really special moment actually in the consultation too. I asked one of the elders, Annie Avril, what's the Noongar word for mum? And she said, nyank. And this conversation became a really key point in the book actually um, and it's sort of written in there because she said to me, but it's an interesting word because it doesn't only mean mum. Nyank is also the word for son. Um, and, you know, there's that sort of idea of that life giver and the bringer of life. Um, and then she said, but funnily enough, the word for thumb is nyanka. So very, very similar word. And, yeah, I suppose without bringing in spoilers, that became a really special line and concept to me that, that the word for mum and son is the same, but also right here in your thumb as well. And the Tetley family at first seemed united in their grief, but as you write, each of them hurting from different places. That pain in one sense unites them, but it also divides them. Yeah, definitely. I suppose I was sort of showing the way that grief can really dismantle a family too, if you're not, um, well, no one's really prepared for it, are you? Um, But also the ways that it can hit so differently. That's why there's um, Rose and Frank, who are a year apart at 16 and 17 years old, almost twins. They're born on the same day, but they both respond so differently to the loss. And I think I really used them to explore that way that grief can pull you apart because they were very, very close siblings. And then the way that they respond, you know, Rose um, steps in and sort of tries to fill the gap that her mum's left behind while Frank spirals and goes completely off the rails and yeah it it does it really pushes them apart they're not sure how to even hold themselves let alone each other I suppose. The Tetley family are in a state of chaos life has ended but the chaos continues what's the source of that chaos and where's it leading them? I guess the source is the um the reality of the loss of a parent to such a awful long illness And the fact that despite that their mum has been sick for such a long time, they're not ready. Um, They don't know, you know, that this is uncharted territory and no one's leading the ship, no one's in charge. You know, their dad is completely immobilised by his grief. So it's like they've been holding on while their mum's sick and as soon as she's died, no one knows at all what happens next. And so what happens next is that their world implodes, really. Your story is told through the perspectives of Frank and Rose, and it's a series of very individual perspectives on the life and death of their mother and their relationship with their mother. But that grief is conveyed in different forms through the book, and here I'm talking about those beautiful poetic sections which contrast with the narrative prose, and they seem to explore this deeper and more intensely personal relationship or reflection uh, that these characters have with their mother, Elena. Why did you choose that form? to convey that aspect of their character? It's funny. Um, I guess a backstory that's sort of important here is that I had been writing this book since I was Rose and Frank's age. Like I was 16 when I first wrote down their names. And so the book over, um, you know, over a decade took on lots of different forms. And one of the ways that I was really naturally writing the emotion was in these sort of you said before we were recording it and quite right, they're sort of poems, but not quite. They're just emotion. They're free form writing. So they're not very structured, but if you look at them visually, they appear like a poem on the page. Um, and yeah, it was naturally how I wrote 
the emotional scenes. There was a point, um, which I'm very glad I didn't stick with, that I thought I would write the whole book like that. Um, really do not recommend that that avenue. <laughs> Probably your publisher didn't either. No, definitely not. But some of the poems um, really did stick and no matter how much I tried to write them into prose, I couldn't and I really felt like they lost their sharpness if I if I wrote them into prose. And so then I lent into it and um, quite naturally those poems would sort of appear um, and, I, and I would write them when I was writing those scenes intentionally after after being given the go-ahead by a very lovely editor. <laughs> from among all this chaos, the grief, the sorrow, something else emerges from the story and it comes in the form of Patsy and Herbert, soon to be called Auntie and Uncle. They're both Noongar elders and traditional custodians of the area. Frank and Rose find an unexpected connection. What do Patsy and Herbert bring to the lives of Frank and Rose and how do they each respond? Rose and Frank both come across these elders on their own individually. I guess Patsy and Herbert give the teenagers the guidance that they're not finding elsewhere. So a place to feel their grief, um, connection, you know, all the things that they're craving, they're so lost and they're not sure of their place in the world, Rose and Frank, that is. And Patsy and Herbert are able, just through this soft but sure guidance and their own connection to their country and their culture to help Rose and Frank. Um, and it becomes a very healing relationship for both the elders and the teenagers because uh, there is actually some unfinished business between the Tetley family and these particular elders. Um, so eventually Rose and Frank are able to also offer that healing back to the elders. So I guess it's, yeah, that idea of healing and for me, what, what I was trying to achieve of that reconciliation idea as well. And part of that healing process, uh, and it comes out quite often in your book, is this connection to country and, in a sense, the way uh, that country can heal these kinds of wounds. Yeah, I suppose in some ways the connection to country um, element was also really informed by what I was experiencing with the elders because we would often go on country when I was interviewing them or chatting with them um and yeah I think I felt more grounded when I would do those things with them so it kind of just seeped in that so did Rose and Frank and you know the places that they go with the elders you know they go down to the books called Salt River Road they go down Salt River Road which runs along a beautiful mountain range in the Great Southern. And, yeah, I suppose their healing, it's um, multifaceted because it's on country, but then, then it's also about the conversations that they're having with the elders in those places, which was very similar to what I was experiencing at the same time. My final question to you is back to your research. You've consulted extensively with First Nations peoples, elders of the Noongar people, but your research also involved extensive reading of works by First Nations authors. Are there particular authors that have informed your approach to writing this novel? Yeah, I guess not so much maybe my approach because that was informed by the conversations with the elders because of the fact that I am non-Indigenous. But one of my supervisors was Professor Kim Scott, uh, so he's a Noongar writer himself, a really successful Noongar writer, and he's from that region that I was writing about. So I read a lot of his stuff while I was writing um, just to get an idea of 
the culture from that area and also he's an amazing writer. So Kim for sure, um, he has a book called Kayang and Me and Kayang is the Noongar word for auntie from that area and so he was writing with his auntie Hazel Brown. Um, so that was a book that definitely informed me. Um, and then I just took it as an opportunity to explore all these other you know, Indigenous authors and their stories um, just for myself as well. You know, one of the books that I really love, um, Elfie Shiyosaki is a poet from the area and her homecoming is just one of my favourites. Yeah, just just learning from them. I felt like it was just amazing to sit with these books and that's something that I, I've written it in my author's note that I'm so aware that, you know, my work can never take the place of the fact that we definitely need to buy books by Indigenous authors. And so that's what I was making a real effort to do while I was writing. And it was awesome just, you know, stumbling across poets like Elfie. I really admire her. And, yeah, it's a great opportunity. I think it's a great way to expand your reading universe too. Molly Schmidt, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been talking to Molly Schmidt about her first novel, Salt River Road. It's published by Fremantle Press, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.